The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. There are so many challenges involved in the college process, including choosing the right college, planning a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and much more. The team of experts from College Coach are here to help you find some, if not all, of the answers you need. Now, here is your host, Elizabeth Heaton. Welcome, everybody, to the show. And today, we're going to talk about planning for summer and how to get started on a college list. And we're going to wrap up, as always, by answering your questions. But first... We're talking financial aids. I promised that we would talk about this last week, and I told you all that I know enough to be dangerous, but not at all enough to be helpful. And so to remedy that situation, I brought on one of my fabulous colleagues who is an expert in financial aid, and her name is Lori Peltier. And she's a former financial aid director at Anna Maria College, and she also worked in financial aid at Becker College and also consulted for a number of other colleges. So she really knows her stuff, not only that, but Lori just went through the process herself with twins. So Lori, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Beth. It's a pleasure to be here. Great. So I thought that the best thing to do in terms of financial aid or talking about financial aid would be to start with the basics and really dig into, because I know that we frequently get questions from people assuming that they either will qualify for financial aid or won't qualify for financial aid. And so I thought we could kind of start with the real basics of who does qualify. And I think my first question for you is, how does how is financial aid calculated? So how does that piece start? Okay. All right. That's a great place to start um, with the basics. So in order to uh, have financial aid calculated to see if you even qualify, a student must first apply for aid using the financial aid application called the FAFSA form, which stands for the Free Application for Federal Student Aid. This form results, all the data on the form goes through a calculation and the results of which is called your expected family contribution or EFC. Then each college that you're considering uh, attending will see that EFC and compare it to the cost of their school. So your EFC will stay the same, but the cost of the schools will vary. And the schools will determine what the difference is between their cost and your EFC. If your expected family contribution is higher than the cost of the school, then it is said that you have no need and no financial aid is given because they financially think that based on what you put on the application, your family could afford to pay for it without any help. Uh, If there is a difference where the expected family contribution is lower than the cost of the school, the difference is called your uh, financial eligibility for need-based aid. So you are eligible for need-based aid, and and the dollar amount that you're eligible for is the difference between the cost of the school and your expected family contribution. So the higher the cost of the school, the more aid you can qualify for, and that's one of the reasons why we don't um, recommend ruling out a school just because of the high price tag. 
you really won't know what your family is going to pay for school until you've gone through this aid calculation to see how much money they might give you. And a more expensive school might end up not being so expensive for the family. Gotcha. And so the thing, the reason that we actually decided to talk about this today to start with this is because we did get a question in from a listener who asked or who basically said, you know, I've heard from many other partners that the FAFSA um, really doesn't help you get any financial need-based assistance unless you declare less than $50,000 total income before entering college in the fall. And um, so one, you know, one of the questions that we were wondering is, you know, when he said, how can you use the FAFSA to, to your benefit besides just the special circumstances letter? And I understand from talking to you that this is a question that you get all the time at College Coach. What is the income cutoff for qualifying for aid? And it sounds yeah, like that, it depends. That's right. That is a question we get all the time. Uh, and there's no hard and fast rule of a specific income number that you would have to qualify or not qualify. Um, in the financial aid world, there's a lot of questions that are answered with, it depends. There's so many factors, so many variables in the process that it's hard to come up with a hard and fast rule. Um, some of the factors that affect your financial aid include um, your family size, the number in college, the cost of the school, uh, etc. So it's hard to come up with an exact dollar amount. But we have come up with some uh, rule of thumb for a family of four with one child in college, if you were looking at an in-state public school, which runs around $25,000 a year for their total cost, you could still qualify for financial aid if your income was approaching 140000 Over $140,000 of income for the parents, and you would not qualify for financial aid at an in-state public school with a $25,000 price tag. But because the cost of the school is such a big part of the formula, if you were looking at an expensive school that costs fifty to $60,000 a year, which some of them do now, you could have income up to $225,000 and still possibly qualify for need-based aid. Uh, gotcha. Larger families or families with more than one child in college at the same time could have even higher incomes and still qualify for something, while smaller families, uh, smaller than a family of four, may not qualify even at these income levels that I just mentioned. Um, assets that the family has also play into the formula, but it's the parent's income that really drives it. Um, so in regards to Steve's specific question that he wrote in, um, there are federal grants that only families with very low income qualify for. Mm -hmm. And when you submit the FAFSA form, that's one of the first answers you get is that you don't qualify or you do qualify for a federal grant. So a lot of people get very discouraged when they get that initial response back. Um, and it is true that your income would have to be very low to qualify for those federal grants, but there's lots of other money that they might qualify for. Right. So that's just one piece of the possible aid that any student could receive. Gotcha. Correct. That makes sense. Uh, so is there a way, I mean, one of the things that actually we're going to be talking about a little later in the show is thinking about your college list. And certainly for most families out there, cost is going to factor into the decision of where to apply. And so is there a way for a family to find out before they apply to a school how much financial aid they may actually receive? Yes, yes, there is, um, and we're we're lucky that this is available now. Um, <clears throat> this net price calculator 
is available at every college in the country. Uh, it's a process that has been out for about three years now. The government actually requires the colleges to have a net price calculator on their website. And it's something you might have to search for on a college's website. Mm-hmm. It may be on their admissions pages or their financial aid pages. It won't be on their home page, but uh, you could search for it. And the net price calculator will ask a family some basic questions about their family size, their income, their assets, the number of kids in college, and it will show them what the student would receive for financial aid if they attended that institution. It won't tell them if they're accepted, um, but it gives them a ballpark idea of what they would get for financial aid, so it's great when putting together a college list. I always recommend to a family that they try the net price calculator at a less expensive school, say an in-state public, as well as the more expensive schools on their list. Gotcha. So that's a really great tool. And um, so certainly we encourage families to do that. But what about, so I use the uh, the net price calculator. I discover, to much to my chagrin, that I will qualify for aid. Uh, I won't qualify for aid at a state institution or a private institution. My income is just too high. Should I apply anyway? Is there any benefit at all to filling out the financial aid application? And if so, what are, what are those benefits? That's probably the second most popular question we get a college <laughs> coach after the income question um, is, you know, should I bother? You know, it looks like it's a lot of work. Should I really bother doing this? There's right. three reasons why I tell a family to fill out the financial aid application anyways, even if their income looks to be too high. The first is that In order for a student to qualify for a federal student loan, they must complete that FAFSA form. It is Mm -hmm. the first step in getting a loan. And the federal student loan is a loan in the student's name that they can pay back after they graduate. Uh, So a lot of people want to get that loan, but it's very quick and easy to get, but you do have to do that FAFSA form first. So if you're planning on taking the student loan, you want to get it done. Uh, All families, regardless of the parent's income, can get a federal student loan in in the student's name. The second reason would be that the FAFSA form is kind of taking a snapshot of the family's financial picture at one point in time, usually January, February of senior year of high school. And they're looking at the previous year income. So for those students graduating high school in 2015, the FAFSA form is collecting their 2014 income information. And that's great, but what if something changes? What if there's a change to the family's income due to a a loss of employment or a loss of their bonuses or commissions, whatever circumstances come along to change their financial picture? It's great to have that FAFSA form on file in the financial aid office at the college so that if something does happen, something out of the ordinary, the family can go back to the college and say, look, we applied, we didn't qualify, but now we have a different situation on our hands. So then the college would have something to go to. It's much easier to go back and look at the situation if they have an application on file already. Gotcha. And then lastly, there are some colleges, not very many, but a few colleges that do require a student complete an aid application just to be in the running for their academic or merit-based scholarships. Uh, so the colleges want to capture their financial information uh, and get them in the system before giving them a merit scholarship. So you wouldn't want to miss out on the opportunity for getting that scholarship just because you didn't want the burden of filling out the FAFSA form. So I usually recommend that all families fill it out at least for freshman year and then make a decision after that if they're going to continue to fill it out. 
And just to briefly go back to a comment that you made a little bit uh, a minute ago where you said people will say, well, it just looks like such a pain. Should we even bother? Is it in fact a pain to fill out the FAFSA? Is it really (laughs) as complicated as people seem to think it is? Um, You know, it's it's been simplified over the years. It's down Mm -hmm. to, I believe, less than 100 questions. And most of the questions are name, address, social security number, date of birth, what schools do you want the data sent to? There's very few financial questions on the form, and it tells you exactly where on your tax return to get those answers to those financial questions. So it takes a family about an hour to fill it out. We do recommend that before they sit down to fill it out that they get together, you know, the parents and the students' Social Security numbers and date of birth and the prior year tax returns and W-2s and maybe bank statements. So if you have all that stuff in front of you, it is really easy to fill out. Great. So good. I'm hoping that we can dispel the myth that (laughs) it is super, super arduous and incredibly challenging thing to do. Mm -hmm. Um, So we're running out of time uh, right now, but I did want to let everyone know that Lori is actually going to be joining me in our final segment today when we answer questions. And we had a few more questions come in that are financial aid related. And so we'll tackle a few of those uh, at that time. Um, and so thank you so much, Lori. This is super helpful. And as always, when I'm talking to my colleagues, I learned something new that I didn't know before. And hopefully our listeners did as well. Uh, and so I really appreciate you joining us. Uh, I'd love it if everyone could stay tuned. After the break, we're going to speak to my colleague, Steve Brennan, about how to get started on the college list. That's probably one of the most common questions I get, especially uh, at this time of the year from parents of juniors. And they're looking for some guidance on how to even start thinking about this. And Steve's going to join us when we get back from the break. Thanks very much. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience at a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. 
or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. So welcome back, everybody. And as I mentioned before the break, one of the biggest questions I get asked by both students and parents is, how do I get started on the college list? And today I am super excited to have Steve Brennan, who's a former admissions officer at Occidental College Marquette and Loyola University Chicago, and also was a director of college counseling for College Connections in Hawaii. Hope I pronounced that correctly, Steve. And (laughs) thank you. Uh, And I would consider Steve truly a master at getting students and parents to approach this process as thoughtfully as possible, because it can be really easy to uh, not be particularly thoughtful about this, believe it or not. And so um, thanks, Steve, for joining us and, and welcome. Thank you. My pleasure to be here. Sure. So So many students and parents start the process of putting together a college list by, at least in my experience, looking at the schools that they know best. So their neighbor went to X school. The mom or dad went to Y school. Uh, All of their friends are going to apply to A school. Uh, But how do you think they should really start the process? Sure. Yeah, and that's that's true. We see that a lot. And I think perhaps particularly for... uh, Adolescent males, when they look at, uh, when I first look at their list and I'll compare that to the top 25 men's basketball or football, I see a lot of overlap. And so we have to drill down into that a little bit, right? And, and figure out, okay, what, what's important here? What's the most important piece is the student. Right. And so starting with the student, not thinking about, okay, here's school X. How do I get into that school? But thinking about, what the student wants and what's going to look like good outcomes for that student through the process um, is, is really the best way to do it. So if you can flip that conversation earlier, that's very effective in, in getting off on the right foot. Right. Rather than starting with, these are the schools I know and can I get into any of them? Gee, where would I be happiest kind of? So to that end, people talk a lot about fit. What does fit really mean in your opinion? Yeah, fit is one of those terms that we toss around a lot, those of us who have been in, the, been in the business for a while. And sometimes I think we have to redefine it for ourselves from time to time. A good mm-hmm. fit school is one in which the student is going to reach her goals, be mm-hmm. happy, be challenged, be nurtured, be a place where she's really going to thrive. You know, I think about my undergraduate experience. I think about the experience of many of the students I've worked with. I had an amazing experience. I did a terrible search. I ended up where I wanted and needed to be, and I got really lucky. And I want people to approach this thoughtfully and so that they get that result so that when they go back to their campus in 10 years, 15 years, and they walk across the quad or walk across the the campus, they get the goosebump feeling. That's what I call it. You're still super excited to be there. You love it. It's where you want to be. It's where you were meant to have gone, and it's a good fit. So it's intellectual. It's academic, of course, but it's also social and experiential. Right. I mean, one thing that I hear sometimes from students and sometimes from parents is, I want to get into the best school I can get into. And I always feel like, what does that even mean? (laughs) You know, I know the way that they're defining it. I think they're defining it as, I want to get into the most selective school I can get into. But if we try to think much more broadly about that, um, I think you have a great story, and I'm putting you on the spot, but I remember you mentioning a student that you worked with who had a vision of going to school in a big city. I think it was in New York City he wanted to go to school, but wound up at the University of Washington, and uh, you kind of guided him on that journey a little bit. So 
how do you take that kid who says to you, I don't really care where I go, but I want to be in New York City, and you don't really get the sense that they've thought about anything other than that they went to New York City once and loved it. You know, where do you, how do you get them started into thinking more broadly? Yeah, sure. No, that's my buddy Vincent, and you're right. You remember exactly. So uh, he came to me when he was in 10th grade, and I asked him, you know, like I asked all the students I was working with at the time, what are you thinking about college? And he said, New York, New York, New York, and uh, was able to evolve into a better understanding of what he wanted. I think the way that happens is by asking questions. Ask your kids questions about this stuff. Don't worry about the answer, and don't ask them every day. Some families get to a point where the, the students and the parents say, okay, can we just talk about this two days a week instead of every night, every practice, mm-hmm. every drive home, every meal? Let's put some boundaries around it. And I think that's healthy and, and good, too, so that the, the student re- retains her or his excitement about it. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I think, you know, thinking about what your priorities are. Ask the student, big or small. And if it's an adolescent, you know, you might get that, mm, I don't know. And that's fine. <laughs> right. It's okay. Just plant some seeds. And start to think about the colleges in your area. And if you have access to any colleges and universities in your area, go visit them. So you can see what a big or a small school looks like or an urban, suburban, rural campus really looks and feels like. Use some of those course categories to divide up the universe of colleges and universities. Because, you know, I get it. It's daunting when you think about all the colleges out there. It's natural that we would default to the ones we've heard about or be a little overwhelmed by how many choices there are. So think about, okay, what really makes sense for me? What are my priorities? What are my drivers? What do I want to get out of this process? And ask the questions and give your kids time to grow through their answers. Don't worry about their answers. Don't lock them into their answers. Give them time to grow through those. What would you say, how many criteria do you think is useful. I mean, I think sometimes I have students who have zero and who say to me, I could go to any school. And I, well, I appreciate the enthusiasm and the wide open nature of their interest. It's certainly not helpful when we're trying to narrow down what can be close to 5,000 schools to a reasonable list of seven that they're going to actually apply to. Um, but then I also have kids who are so narrow and so focused on uh, they have a, such a long list of requirements that almost no school lives up to what they're looking for. So when you're working with kids through this process, what do you think ends up being a good average n- number of criteria to have? Sure. Um, I'm going to uh, uh, steal from your first guest and say, well, it depends. <laughs> um, I think that, you know, I worked with, uh, worked with a young man from Texas who was interested in petroleum engineering and only in Texas schools. Okay. Um, that's going to be a pretty short list. He had those mm-hmm. two criteria were super important to him. I think the number of criteria matters less than how invested the student is with each one of those criteria. Mm-hmm. So if the student is, uh, you know, she's an urban kid, she has to be around theater, she wants 24-hour access to good Chinese food and good, you know, good nightlife and, and sports teams and all of that, then, you know, that's really important to her experience. She wants a campus where she can walk out the door and have that access and that's the number one thing for her, then maybe the other criteria about academics, about student clubs and organizations, about environment, maybe fade a little bit, and that's okay. Um, so I think it's, it's a combination of criteria. I think, you know, three or four at least are great to have, mm-hmm. but it's also how much the student is invested in those particular criteria. 
Right. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think exactly. I think sometimes I've had students who had so much, so many different things that the school had to have. It was really their way of not being broad and only focusing on those schools that they wanted to focus on. So they basically just um, use their criteria as a way to uh, say no instead of using it as a way to find the ones that they wanted to say yes to. So it is tricky. And I think as with everything, we'll steal that phrase from Lori, but it's probably one that we all use multiple times a day when it comes to this entire process, which is it depends. So we all know that the visit is can be a very important component of this process. And I, when do you think, you mentioned going and doing some local visits and seeing some schools. Uh, do you think there's a good time to start that? Should you be waiting until junior year? Would you start it earlier? What do you think about that? Sure. I think... Um I think there's not a bad time to do a college visit. I think there's no such thing as a bad college visit, even if it's disastrous, Mm -hmm. because it's a new data point, and you get to learn from that. You know, if you park the car Mm -hmm. and everyone gets out of the car and he looks around and says, there's no way I'm going here, new information. We can use that. I think that process, though, is should be broader 10th grade, fall semester of 11th grade. And by broader, I mean don't worry about the name on the school. I think in 10th mm-hmm. grade, it's a great time to start visiting colleges in spring semester of 10th grade just to see what they're like, just to start introducing them, maybe one a month, maybe one a quarter, just to say, you know what, we're going to drive around this campus and see what you think because you've been talking about, you know, for example, USC, let's go look at Occidental. Let's go look at what a small college looks like and feels like, and we can really start to get an understanding of what my experience there, what the students' experience there might be like. So I think visiting in the spring of 10th grade, fall of 11th is great. If possible, of course, and this is tricky, if you can go when students are on campus, it's super helpful because otherwise you're looking around at buildings and a large part of your student experience is going to be uh, obviously interacting with your fellow students and you want to get a sense for what that is really like. So if you can visit during the school year, if you're going during the summer, you can still get important information from that. And of course, it's a little easier to do for most families, but that's, that's what I would recommend along those lines. What about families who say, well, she's going to file all her applications, we're going to see where she gets in, and then we're going to visit? What do you think about that strategy? Mm. Yeah, uh, that always makes me nervous. Yep. Uh, it's a little bit like um, getting financing for a car, buying a car, and then, uh, then we'll take it for a test drive at that point. Um, <laughs> I think that, I think that, And I understand, you know, when I was in Hawaii, it was really tough for my families to get to visit many of the colleges that they considered. Two things. One, I think you're not having, you don't have enough data to be able to make good decisions about where to apply if you haven't at least visited a peer institution, an institution that's similar. Mm -hmm. I think it's really difficult to build a list without getting a chance to walk around and see the kind of campus that you're think that you're interested in. The second thing is that many colleges and universities track what's called demonstrative interest. And that's a way where colleges see how many interactions the student has had with that campus, and that can affect the admission decision. So if you're looking at colleges that track demonstrative interest, waiting to visit until after you apply can be a mistake. Now, there are other ways to demonstrate interest, including meeting with the admissions representative when she or he comes to your high school attending hotel receptions if they have any in your city or area, creating a uh, a relationship by email. It's perfectly fine, and you can do that remotely. But if you have a chance to visit, that can give you 
uh, I hate to say additional points, but it will certainly be noticed at colleges that track demonstrated interest and that visit piece not only will help give you better, more robust, more holistic information about the list that you're building, but it can also help, frankly, when it comes yeah. time for admission at some schools. Absolutely. And I am so with you on the idea that, the, you know, if at all possible, doing some visits before you apply is super important. I just, every once in a while, I do have a family that employs that method and uh, it never ends as well as you want it to. No, it's uh, because tough. what. You know, it's like people, right? Or a potential romantic partner could look great on paper, but in person, ooh, you, you know, you had everything I wanted, but somehow it's not working when I meet you. It's not the right fit, going back to that word. Steve, thank you so much. I really appreciate uh, you joining us today. I think your approach to this is um, really, as I said earlier, I think it's a really wonderful one, and it's a really thoughtful way to approach this process. And I appreciate you taking some time out of your day to join us. And, My pleasure, Beth. Thanks for having me. It. Absolutely. Thank you. And uh, uh, with five feet of snow on the ground here in Massachusetts, it's kind of hard to believe that summer is around the corner, but I swear it is, I think. Um, if you come back after the break, we're going to talk to Kara Courtois about how to maximize that time for college admissions. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says, yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, it might be cold and snowy where you are or where I am, but summer is coming, and it's really important for high school students to make the most of this break. And my colleague, Kara Courtois, who's a former admissions officer at Barnard College and also a former classroom teacher with AmeriCorps, is going to talk us through some summer planning. So, Kara, hello, and thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Beth. I'm excited to be here. Absolutely. So, do college 
teachers really care what students are doing over the summer? My stepson spent a few summers on the couch (laughs) watching television and playing video games. And I kept telling him, you know, colleges really do care about what you're doing. And he would sort of say, are you sure? Really? Uh, So what can you tell us about that? Why, Why do colleges care what students are doing over the summer? Absolutely. I I think that's probably one of the biggest changes we've seen in the college process over, um, you know, other than selectivity, that since way back when I was applying to college, that it's just a time that is a, a chance to explore and be able to demonstrate not only to the college, but to, you know, for the student themselves to explore, be creative and oftentimes do something that they don't always have time for during the school year. But most colleges really do care on some level uh, what a student is getting involved in and love to hear what opportunities they've taken advantage of. Right. So, I mean, one of the things I say is to families is just you got to do something. So to that end, um, do you think there is a best thing to do? Do you think there is one thing the colleges hold above all else that they would identify uh, as kind of the the thing they most want to see? And if so, what is that? And everyone wants to know so they can run out and do it. Right, exactly. Yeah, I wish I could say just, oh, absolutely, everybody should do this. But that's, you know, that's where it's exciting and it's different for each student. So there isn't just one absolute best, absolutely. And we often get the question you know, is it better for a student to do a, you know, a paid program that they can participate in or get a summer job or, you know, do volunteer work? And, you know, I always try to encourage a student and family to think about, you know, what, what are you interested in? How would you want to ideally spend your summer? And within that context, what's something that might add value to your understanding of your interest, yourself, maybe potential major, and mm-hmm. a way that you can sort of walk through exploring these all these ideas, whether it's in a classroom environment, a volunteer, or through some sort of job. Right, so it's a little bit like going back to what Steve was saying in terms of start, instead of starting with what colleges can I get into, flip it and start with where do I want to go, it's sort of the same thing. Rather than asking what do colleges want to see, probably more, much more importantly, not probably, much more importantly is what would be interesting for me to be involved in mm-hmm. other than lounging by the pool or playing <laughs> video games? What else would be interesting to explore? So uh, so what are some examples of some interesting things that you saw students do when you were at Barnard or that you see your students doing now uh, that you work with them here at College Coach? Mm-hmm. Um, I, that, that's a great question. So I'd say, you know, most commonly what we see for a lot of students, and I would say focusing first on, say, the summers after sophomore and junior year, which we consider more impact summers, meaning students are a little bit older, a little closer to when they're actually applying. Students, uh, some interesting opportunities exist, anything from volunteer work. And I often encourage students, especially in 10th grade, look locally. You don't have to go outside Mm -hmm. the country. So look at opportunities close to home and students interested in working with, you know, animals or the environment. So many opportunities with local nonprofits, refuge, anything you can get, any hands-on experience is really optimal. And I've Mm -hmm. seen, um, you know, some students who are, you know, hitting the pavement and trying to get 
jobs only to discover what they can get a job in is really not at all interesting to them. So they try to find, you know, maybe a mixture of getting a job where they can save some money for college or oftentimes paying for their cell phone, but Mm -hmm. also mixing it up with volunteer work. And I always encourage students, um, you know, quality versus quantity. So some of the top, you know, volunteer options that are out there, hospitals are always super popular and often easy to get opportunities, but looking at websites like Volunteer Match, where you can put in your local area code and find very interesting options. I've seen students interested in in computer science and working with computers. I would say those are the students who love playing video games. Mm -hmm. I always encourage get off the video games. Maybe go teach some elderly people how to use the internet. That's really interesting. Or teach your, you know, take a programming class this summer if you want to take an academic approach. Um, and I do want to say that there, there are some very, you know, helpful and interesting what we call pre-college programs that though they're, you know, they often do have a price tag. Some mm-hmm. do uh, have scholarships that are available and some do it a really phenomenal job of helping students to explore major opportunities. But I think often more importantly is to explore being away from home, being mm-hmm. on their own, being on a college campus and what that feels like before they take off potentially across the country to attend college. I agree. I think those programs can be really valuable from both of those perspectives that you just mentioned. I think the one thing that I would also add um, is that I wouldn't assume that you need to do the pre-college program at your first choice school. So mm-hmm. I see you know, students frequently saying, well, I want to do the pre-college, but I'm really interested in going to Yale. And so because I want to go to Yale, I'm going to do their pre-college program because I'm going to be a better applicant. But the reality is that what they, they might be do they, they might be better served by doing something that's in their field of interest uh, that has nothing to do with the pre-college program rather than simply assuming that just because something is on that campus, that automatically makes them a better candidate. And I don't, you know, that's not necessarily the case. It's great experience on the pieces you're talking about, on exploring majors, on exploring um, living alone, uh, you know, away from home as a college student, but not necessarily as an extra feather uh, in your cap for some of the more selective institutions and and lots of institutions because more colleges than not these days do have pre-college programs. Mm -hmm. I'd 100% agree with that. Yep, great point. Yeah, and and so what about um, what about the kid who just wants to get a job? Do, you know, it seems like the days when the the regular old job uh, has seems to have fallen out of favor, or people seem to think it has. Um, what's your take on just working full time during the summer? Um, well, speaking from experience, because that was definitely <laughs> my summers. <laughs> yep, school. mine too. Um, I mean, I'm always a big fan. I, I do remember regularly when we were in admissions and still today, seeing when students had job experience that it was just, you know, great to see. You know, there's some great value that comes out of it. Oftentimes, students might have jobs that they're not necessarily excited about. I might have fallen <laughs> in that category. But there's a lot of, um, you know, value in the responsibility that's gained from that. I oftentimes will look at the number of hours, you know, that, um, that they're working in that. And then how does a student reflect on that in the application? So there's definitely tons of value for students to get jobs. Um, and if it's possible, I always encourage students going back to the original point of, you know, what would you like to do this summer? Can we find something that, you know, you can explore an interest 
you know, perhaps related to a major. So if a student thinks they want to do something with hospitality, I would definitely encourage, you know, a job that they could find in, you know, working in a hotel, restaurant, something of those sorts of line. Mm -hmm. If they're interested in communications, well, Sometimes they might even have paid positions at local um, broadcasting or journalism arenas, but the reality is sometimes maybe you have to have a job that's paid in an area you don't want, and then maybe you do a volunteer internship, um, other areas. And sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, it's possible to do both without necessarily working every bit of the summer. Right. And I agree. And I'm a big fan of a, of a regular old job as well. And I think you talked about the responsibility, just the act of having to show up on time and report to and work with adults that you're not related to uh, can be super valuable and, and also help kids get ready for that next step of going away to college. And nothing will make you want to go away to college more than working at some somewhat menial labor job <laughs> where, you know, you're making minimum wage saying, wow, this is not what I want to do for the rest of my life. So I also think it's really good incentive. Yeah, great point. So what about um, timing? When, you know, it does seem crazy. I keep talking about the snow on the ground. I just can't believe how much we have here. So I can't stop talking about it. Um, But it is only February. It's not even Valentine's Day. Uh, Does it, do you think it's too early to be thinking about the summer? Uh, And when do you think Families should get started. Uh, perfect question. I, right now is the perfect time uh, for many students. In fact, uh, for some programs, academic programs, those pre-college programs, for instance, you might want to start looking over the winter break, the December break um, in the future for other students thinking that direction. But right now is a great time to look, especially um, positions might fill up if it's an internship. It also just takes time to get feedback. If you're exploring a different field, you're trying to find out if, you know, maybe you can shadow uh, a family friend who might be in a field of interest or volunteer at a local agency. You know, it takes time to send emails and do the research to find out who to contact or, you know, even to show up in person, which is a great way of, you know, demonstrating your interest and your seriousness if a student is trying to obtain, you know, a volunteer position or research internship. So now is a great time. And I would say, you know, the latest, you know, you'd want to have things wrapped up would really be by, you know, the April break going into May, you know, a benchmark by May 1st to have something ready for the summer at the latest. Yeah, I encourage my students have a plan A, have a plan B, have a plan C. Mm-hmm. They look at me like I'm nuts when they say, well, this is my first plan. And then I say, well, what's the plan B? And then they mm-hmm. give me something. And then I ask for plan C and they kind of look a little blankly. But even that regular old job, often the types of positions that are available to high school students who are only going to work over the summer fill up pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. And if you're not looking until the last day of school, which around here is June 26th, you're probably going to be out of luck. Mm-hmm. And, Especially um, when the college students come home and scoop them up. So definitely. That's exactly right. And they come home a whole lot earlier. They're yeah. home by May, most of them. So I think your timing suggestions are really, really great ones. Um, so we're getting close to the break here. I really uh, appreciate this. I think there's lots of really helpful advice here, Karen. Thank you so much for giving it. Um, you know, one thing 
that Kara mentioned, the pre-college programs, uh, school websites are a great place to get started looking for those. Uh, you, if you're looking for internships and things like that, I always think talk to mom and dad or mom and dad, who do you know who might um, have internship opportunities available? So uh, there are a lot of different ways to think about this. And um, if you haven't gotten started yet, now is the time. So Kara, thank you so much. Um, we're about to go to the break, and when we get back, um, we're going to be answering questions that our listeners have sent in, and we're not only going to be answering admissions-related questions, but we're also going to be responding to finance-related questions, although I'm not going to be the one, but Lori Peltier, Peltier from our uh, first segment today is coming back, and she's going to help us out with that. So thanks, everybody, and we'll be back in a minute. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says, yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Stimulating talk. It gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everybody. And as promised, we're going to wrap up with a Q&A. It's what we do every week. And we strongly encourage you all to send in your questions or even to call in with questions. Um, and we have gotten a few. And Lori, I have a few for me and a few for you. Um, and let's start with one for you. Uh, okay. And first question comes from a listener who asks, so how come all I received was a student loan when I applied last year? A loan isn't financial aid. Okay, that's a, that's a good question. Uh, financial aid comes in three types. Uh, it comes in the form of grants, which is free money that doesn't have to be paid back, and it directly reduces the cost of the school. Financial aid is also work-study, which is a part-time job on campus that the student receives a paycheck for, and that paycheck can be used towards their extra expenses like books and transportation and entertainment. And then there's student loans. So student loans do fall under the financial aid category, but they're loans that are in the student's name 
with no cosigner, no credit check, and they do not have to be paid back until after the student graduates. Most are interest-free while the student's in school, and as I mentioned earlier, the FAFSA form is the first step in, uh, in getting the student loans. Uh, so unfortunately, loans are a big part of the picture, and if you think about it, where else can an 18-year-old who doesn't have a college degree or a job go and borrow $5,000 and not make any payments on it for four years? So mm -hmm. it's a... It's a loan that's easy and quick to get that a student would not qualify for otherwise, so it does fall into the financial aid category. Gotcha. Okay. So another question that came in uh, is one that I probably will take, and that is um, Pamela writes in, as a high school junior, what steps can be taken to show interest in colleges I'm considering? Uh, so I think there are a few different ways, and Steve actually talked about them a little bit in his segment but um, how do you show interest? I think the first thing that I would do is to go onto the college's websites, and there are often places where you can register and give them your information, let them know, in essence, that, hey, I'm interested in learning more about you. And that gets you on their radar screen, and that usually puts you um, on a list, and you will start to receive information from the school, and they'll let you know about things that are happening locally in your area. Uh, you can be among the first to know if, say, the admissions officer for your area is going to be traveling there in the fall or in the spring. Uh, sometimes it gives you an opportunity to set up appointments to meet with that person or maybe have an interview. So that's a good idea to do whether you're trying to show interest or not. Um, I also think that the best way always to show interest is certainly to go and visit. And when you visit, you want to make sure that you register properly. So you can pretty much visit any college campus anytime you want, but most colleges do conduct formal visits. So they'll do an information session, often with a, an admissions officer, and then uh, a tour, which is usually led by a student volunteer. And some schools require you to sign up for those in advance, uh, and you would do that typically on their websites. Uh, other schools say, hey, just show up. Here are the days and times that we offer them. But even when you just show up on campus, you usually are checking in at a special building and you're filling out a little form uh, that sort of gets you on that same mailing list. But it also lets them know that you did actually visit. There are schools where that's going to be a really important thing to the school, and then there are schools, usually your larger public institutions, they don't have time to track who's visiting and whether or not that shows interest, but at the smaller institutions that do care if you've visited and shown interest in them, uh, that would be a really good way to show that interest. But you don't want to miss that opportunity, spend all the money and take the time to go to campus and then fail to actually check in so you don't sort of get quote-unquote credit for it. So you want to do that. Uh, other things that you can do, you uh, on those same websites where you can register to take tours or to let them know that you're interested, you can also usually see information about when the school is going to be traveling to your town. So if they're going to do an evening presentation or maybe even they're going to stop at your high school and do a meeting at the high school, you want to show up to those things as well. 
Let's say there is a meeting at your high school and it's the same day as a really important class that you just can't miss. Maybe you're having a test that day or your teacher really doesn't like it if you miss class, even if it is to meet with a college rep. Uh, Often what you can do there is just you could jot a note down and leave it for the person. You could ask your teacher if you could show up a couple of minutes late to class so that you could at least go to the meeting, uh, introduce yourself to the college rep, give them your name and information and let them know that unfortunately you'll have to miss. Guidance counselors are often happy to pass along that information to a college visitor. Uh, So those are all different things that you can do. I do want to wrap up my answer by simply saying that it's important to know that there are schools that really do care if, you int- if you're interested, and then there are schools that going out of your way to show interest isn't really going to do anything for your chances. And signs that a school cares uh, about your interest would be things like they strongly recommend a campus visit, if they offer interviews on campus, if they do a lot of traveling in your area. Uh, these are all things that can be a sign that they really are... They really do care if you're going to um, show your interest in them. Okay, uh, Lori, I have another question for you, and that is, um, will my income exclude my daughter from receiving scholarships? Okay, thanks, Beth. Um, as I just mentioned what, cons- what is considered financial aid, I didn't mention scholarships in that list. We talked about grants, loans, and work study. So scholarships are not typically based on your income your FAFSA form or your assets or your financial situation at all. They're based on the student's achievements and the college's desire to recruit certain students, whether it's based on academics, athletics, artistic, or music talent, etc. So so know your income is not going to hurt your daughter's chances for getting scholarships, uh, and we'll actually be discussing how to find scholarships, the various resources out there to find scholarships at a future segment of this show. Wonderful. Okay, great. Thanks. And then I think we have room for one more question. Um, And hopefully this is one with a relatively short answer. Uh, And that is another one for you, Lori. And that is my family has a pretty high income, but due to special financial circumstances, this income isn't really available to pay for college. Is there anything that we can do or is there anything that that family can do? Yes, it is a very short answer. It's they can log in next week and listen next week. Um, their situation is what we would call an appeal, where they would appeal for more f- financial aid based on new circumstances or circumstances in their family that are not reflected on the financial aid forms. And next week, my colleague Shannon Vasconcelos is going to be talking about appeals and negotiations on this very show. Awesome. So for the person who sent that question, and we hope that you will tune in next week. I hope that everyone will tune in next week because we actually have some really excellent segments lined up. You mentioned the Negotiating Financial Aid Awards. I'm constantly amazed at the people who are afraid to ask for more money, even if they really need it. Um, I will tell you in advance that no college ever said to someone, I can't believe you're asking us for more money. No, and we're taking away the money we gave 
gave you and we're taking away your offer of admission, there is zero harm to asking the question. Um, and Shannon's going to be here next week to talk about that very thing and what questions to ask and how to go about that. I also will have um, a few of my other colleagues on. We're going to continue the conversation about the college list and really get into the nuts and bolts of researching colleges and some of the resources that you can use, uh, the role that rankings could play or not play in the process. I have my feelings about that, and we'll talk about that a little bit more next week. Um, We're also going to talk about extracurricular activities, similar to the whole summer program question, um, you know, what are the right things to get involved in? Are there specific things that colleges really like to see? Uh, We're going to cover all of that on our show next week, which is on Thursday at uh, 1 p.m. Pacific and 3 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Eastern, excuse me. And Lori, thank you so much for joining us this week. I really appreciate it and your insight was super valuable. And uh, hopefully you'll come on in the future and talk to us some more about this. Thank you, Beth. It was great to be here. All right, great. Uh, and don't forget, everybody, you could send in your questions to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com or call 866-472-5788. Uh, and we look forward to having you here again next week. Take care. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. Hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. Please join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.